The scripture reading today is Philippians 3:17 through 4, verse 1. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So this passage is part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, to the Christians in an ancient city called Philippi. And you'll notice that in the very last verse of this passage, the Apostle tells his readers to stand firm in the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And uh, so when he tells his readers to stand firm, uh, basically he's, he's saying don't, don't waver in your faith, right? Don't compromise your convictions. Don't wander from your relationship with Christ. He's just saying stand firm. And what I'd like to do this morning is give us three, three thoughts about this idea of standing firm in our faith. So first, I want to talk about why this is hard to do. It's hard to stand firm. Why it's hard, then why it's important, and then finally how we can do this. So um, first, standing firm for Christ is not easy, right? This is really, really difficult. And to kind of drive that home, we should know that the, the, um, the book of Philippians, uh, m most scholars would agree, this is probably written to the healthiest church in the whole New Testament. When you, you read the epistles of Paul, you'll notice often he has to address major uh, doctrinal heresies in the church or serious moral problems in various congregations. And you really don't find that in the book of Philippians. This is, apparently, this was a, a, a community of really healthy, committed vibrant followers of Christ. And you see that reflected in, in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul, Paul says to them, my brothers, my sisters, whom I long for and love, he says, you are my joy and you are my crown. It just, this is a fair, this was a church of really, really healthy Christians, right? And, um, and yet, isn't this something? Even, even Christians as healthy as the Philippians needed to be cautioned, stand firm. Think how difficult it is to see. Even Christians like that, Paul says, stand firm. Very often as a, as a pastor, I just remind myself that um, there are ministers who are much better Christians than I am, more committed to prayer, more committed to, to Christ, who have completely crashed and burned in the ministry. 
They've fallen into serious moral failures or they've drifted uh, from the faith or they've diluted their teaching of the, of the gospel. So I just sometimes remind myself, people much stronger than me have, uh, have fallen, so I need to be on my guard. And, and I think we, we could kind of have that in mind as we read this passage to the Philippians. Let's just say to ourselves, if even really healthy Christians like the Philippians needed to be cautioned to stand firm, we shouldn't assume that this will be easy for us, right? So why is it so difficult to stand firm for Christ? Well, I think the answer is given to us in verse 20 of chapter 3. Here's why. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. That's kind of what it means to be a Christian. Our citizenship is in heaven. Just, he's basically, basically saying, as Christians, essentially, we are resident aliens in this world. All right? So, we, listen, we live in this world. We work in this world. We raise our families in this world. We, uh, you know, we eat our meals here and play our sports here. We walk our dogs here. In other words, Christians, we are just as involved in the life of this world as anyone else. But this is not our home. This is not our home. Our, our citizenship is in heaven, meaning our ultimate allegiance is to another kingdom, right? At the kingdom of God. Our allegiance is to another king, to God himself. And, and for that reason, standing firm for Christ is not easy. It's not, listen, it's not easy to be different from everyone else around you. Here's a, here's a quote from a video blog that was made by a teenage girl named Mariah. And she's talking about what it's like to attend a public high school as a Christian. And maybe some of the teens can relate to this. Uh, Mariah said this, another thing I would say about high school is you have to pray for boldness and you have to be fearless because a lot of times we feel like we are going a completely different direction than the entire school. Sometimes we are the one fish swimming in the opposite direction than all the other fishes. You, you ever felt like that? Like the whole world is going that direction and Jesus is calling me to go the opposite direction. That's not, that's not easy. There's a, there's a famous uh, photograph. You can find it easily. You can Google it. Uh, it's a picture of a shipyard in Germany in 1937, and the occasion is they are dedicating a, a warship that they've just finished building for the, for the German Navy. And if you see this photo, They've assembled all the workers in the shipyard for this dedication, and there's just hundreds and hundreds of men, and they all have their hand extended in the, in the Nazi salute. All of them are saluting the Nazi flag. But if you look closely, you've got to really look. If you look closely at the photo, there's one guy. One guy standing there like this, not going to salute. And they, and they tried to figure out who he was. They finally found out his name was August Landmesser, he was a member of the, of the Nazi party. He joined. The only way to get a job there was to join. But his wife was Jewish, and he loved her, and, he, and he, he couldn't stand what was happening in his country. So when they all saluted, he just stood there. Kicked out of the party, lost his job, eventually sent to a concentration camp. And then, as far as we know, he was shipped off to the front lines where he died. Now... I know I'm exaggerating. I know I'm overstating this. Nobody is sending us to concentration camps. 
But hear me. If you live for Jesus Christ, I mean really live for Jesus Christ in New York City in 2022, there will be times when you feel like that man, right? Where you just feel like everyone else is saluting the, uh, the ideologies of our age, and, and you're just like, no, I can't. I can't go along with the crowd. And it's not easy to, it's not easy to go against the many, right? And Paul, notice Paul talks about the many here in verse 18. He says, for as I've often told you before, and now I'll tell you again, even with tears, he says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And what's so heartbreaking, almost all commentators agree, when he, when he talks about the many who are living as enemies of the cross, he's probably talking about people who consider themselves to be Christians. But they're living like everyone else in the world. He says, he says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But, verse 20, he says, our citizen, citizenship is in heaven. So we all know this. It's not, it's not easy to be the one guy in the crowd who's not saluting. It's not, it's not easy to do that. So that's... That's why it's hard to stand firm in the Lord. Now, why is it important? Well, just to put this bluntly, here's why it's important. Um, life in this world is not a dress rehearsal. This is not a preseason game. In other words, what we do here counts. What we do, listen, what we do with the limited amount of time we have in this world, this counts. For all eternity, uh, when, when, when the apostle says many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, their destiny, he says, is destruction. The Greek word he used for destruction, this is a word that's commonly used in the Bible. It's commonly translated as damnation, the eternal wrath of God. It's the very same word Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus said this, have you heard these words? He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. When I was a kid, I would, like all kids, I would sometimes do things I wasn't supposed to do. And my mother would be disappointed and angry, and she'd say, why, why did you do that? I told you not to do that. And I said, because Jimmy did it, and Michael did it, and Gerald did it, and, and all my friends did it. And what do moms say in a situation like that? What do they say? They say, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump with them? Well, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is saying, you know what? The whole world is actually jumping off a bridge. The whole world is turning its back on eternal life in Christ. And he's saying, don't go with them. This counts. This is for eternity. That's, that's what Paul is talking about here. He, and in fact, the, the apostle here, he says, no matter how hard it is to be different from everyone else and, and, and not go along with the crowd, he says the day is coming. It will be so worth it. He says it'll be worth it. Verse 20 and 21, he says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control 
will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's such good news. Do you know that's good news? See, the Bible says that Jesus was killed, but it says three days later he rose. He rose. He ascended to heaven, and someday he will come back. And when he does, he will bring, he will bring resurrection and eternal life for all those who've trusted and followed him. And, and that moment will be so amazing. It won't matter if you had the applause of the crowd. It won't matter if you were part of the cool kids club. It won't matter at all when Christ returns. There's, a, there's an old Puritan prayer that I love, and the words to the prayer are, are these. It says, I... I hasten, I, I hasten towards an hour when earthly pursuits and possessions will appear vain, when it will not matter whether I've been rich or poor, successful or disappointed, admired or despised, but it will be of eternal consequence that I have mourned for sin, hungered and thirsted after righteousness, loved the Lord Jesus in sincerity, and gloried in the cross. So why is it so important that we stand firm no matter what the whole world is doing? Well, I think Paul would say because life is short and eternity is very long. So third point, how do we do it? How do we stand firm in Christ? Well, there's a lot. I think you'd agree. There's a lot that could be said on that subject. I mean, we could talk about the importance of prayer, the importance of Scripture, talk about the importance of daily repentance, the importance of relying on the Holy Spirit. But what I'd like, I want to do today, I just want to limit myself to what the Apostle says in this particular passage. Notice in, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. One, one alt translation renders it, this is the way you should stand firm in the Lord. So he's talking about a specific action he wants us to, to dedicate ourselves to so that we don't fall away, so that we stand firm. He says, stand firm in this way. Okay, Paul, in what way? Well, I think he's referring to what he said at the beginning. Verse 17, he said, join together in following my example Brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So what he's describing here, he's describing what it would be like for Christians to just go through life linked together in relationship, in community with other believers. So let me just break down that, that verse 17. Notice, first he says, join Together. In other words, don't try this on your own. Do this as a group. Join together, right? Join together in doing what? He says, well, join together in following my example. So he's, he's saying, first, join yourselves together. And then he says, join yourself to me. And then he goes on. He says, just as you have us as a model. And the us there, Paul's probably referring to his ministry team. Those of you who've read the book of Acts, you may remember that, that Paul, the apostle Paul never did ministry on his own. Everywhere he went, he went with a, a team, a group of people. He, he didn't do it in isolation. He was part of a group, right? So he, just to break this verse down, he says, join yourselves together, then join yourselves to me. And he says, and I have joined myself 
myself to others. And then at the end of the verse, he says, and let's keep our eyes on those who live as we do. So, um, in other words, he's saying, let's all actively be on the lookout for other people who are living this way. Let's join ourselves together with them. So, just to, again, at the risk of sounding pedantic, just to work through this verse again. How do you stand firm in the Lord? Paul says, join yourselves together. Join yourselves to me. I have joined myself to others. And let's be on the lookout for others we can join ourselves with too. So how many, oh my, how many relational links are described there? I have no idea, but it's just so, so many. He's, so here's what he's, he's saying. I want you to stand firm in the Lord. You're going to feel like the, the, only, the only one who's not saluting. You're going to feel like the whole world is going one direction. Christ is calling you to go another. It's going to be very, very hard. So if you want to do this, He's saying you've got to link your life together with others. You can't do it on your own. You don't follow Christ on your own. You don't follow Christ in isolation. You don't follow Christ by yourself. He said the way to do it is to do, it, is to do this shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, step in step with other believers, right? So, so that's, that's his point. He said if you're living in a world where the whole world is following a lie and Christ is calling you to follow the truth, Oh, man, you need others. You need others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who escaped Nazi Germany and was living in safety in London, pastoring a small congregation of German-speaking Christians. While he was in London, he heard that there was a small underground movement of Christians, a Christian minority scattered throughout Germany who were refusing to go along with the rising tide of Nazism. Almost all the German church had capitulated. They went along with Hitler, but there was just a few who were trying not to give in. And so he decided to leave the safety of London and go back to Germany to minister to them. His friend said, don't go, you'll be killed. Don't go, you'll be killed. He said, I've got to go. And so he went back and, and, uh, and just joined himself with these different clusters of Christians who were trying not to give in to the world. And in that situation, he wrote a book primarily for this little group, these scattered groups of Christians who were trying to resist. And the name of his book was Life Victorious. No, that was not the name. The, the name of the book was Life Triumphant. No, that was not the name. The name of the book was Life in Power. No, it was, it was nothing as glorious as that. The name, you know what the name of the book was? Very simply, Life Together. Life Together. It's one of the best Christian books I've ever read. It's, it's a book about Christian community, and it does not paint a pretty picture of Christian community. Believe me, it talks about how really hard it is to be part of a church, part of a community. People get on your nerves. You don't understand each other. You have to forgive each other. You don't agree. But he, the whole premise of the book is, he's saying, if, if, if the only way any of us is going to stand in resistance to the false ideologies of our generation, he said, the only way we're going to do that is if we do it together. So let me read you just three quotes from that book taken at random. Here's one. He says, if you scorn the fellowship of your brothers and sisters, you reject the call of Jesus Christ, and thus your solitude can only be hurtful to you. Here's another. He says, sin 
Sin demands to have a person by themselves. It withdraws them from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more attractive will be the power of sin over them, and the more disastrous their isolation will be. One more. You are called into the community of faith. The call was not meant for you alone. You carry your cross, you struggle, and you pray in the community of faith, the community of those who are called. So if you were to ask Dietrich Bonhoeffer or ask the Apostle Paul, how are we supposed to stand firm in a whole world that's rejecting God? They would say, you've got to do life together. I'll close with this. Um, on October 12, 2019, a man named Eliud Kipchoge accomplished something that up until that moment people thought was humanly impossible. You know what he did? He ran an entire marathon in under two hours' time. And some of you have run marathons. You know, it's just ridiculous. That's like mind-boggling. He ran, he, that's 26.2 miles at, a, at the pace of 4 minutes 30 seconds per mile, which is faster than most of us could run from one side of this room to the other. And he did it for 26 miles. It's mind-boggling speed. The fast, it's the fastest anyone has ever run a marathon. But it does not count as the world record. In fact, when he did it, he knew it would not count as a world record. Because the only way Kipchoge, he's an elite athlete, the only way he, he would be able to run that fast is he knew he had to cheat. He, he wasn't trying to deceive anyone. He knew he would have to do something that's not permitted in the world of competitive distance running. The only way he could do it was as he's running, they had different pacers, different, different runners, elite runners who would come alongside him and just run next to him for a couple of miles. And someone else would come in, run next to him for a couple of miles, come along, someone else, run next to him for a couple, just, just to run and encourage How you doing, Elliot? How's it going? Here's the pace. Just, and not, they didn't help him. They didn't hand him water. They didn't, didn't give him Gatorade. They didn't push him. They didn't touch him. They just stood next to him. And that, I find that so fascinating. Because so, somebody like Eliud Kipchoge, he's like a genetic freak. I mean, like one in 10 million people are born with his abilities. Just amazing. And he's one of the most disciplined people. Every aspect of his life is monitored, measured, coached, what he eats, where he sleeps, how much he sleeps, the clothes he wears. Every, he's just like, no one is as disciplined or, or, or skilled as him. And yet, even at that level, even at that level of excellence, you think it wouldn't matter. Just having someone beside you makes all the difference. So here's a question. If we think of the Christian life as a marathon, and it, it is, it's not a sprint. If we think of the Christian life as a marathon, who are your running partners? Who's, who, who's with you? Let me, let me just break that down. All right, listen, are you part of a church? Do you go to that church? Are you a member of that church? Are you involved in that church? When's the, la when's the last time? Can you think of it? The last time you, some brothers and sisters, you, you met together and you opened your heart and you prayed together with them. Now, I know it sounds like I'm nagging you and I'm not trying to, this is not intended to be a guilt trip. But I love you. We love you. 
God loves you. We want to see you at the finish line. There's an old African proverb, if you, if, you want to, if you want to go fast, travel alone. If you want to go far, travel with others. Guys, listen, we are called to go far. Our citizenship is in heaven. Don't miss it. Let's go there together. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, some of us are really, this is a heavy word because we're struggling with isolation from others. And, and um, for some, it's maybe not even their fault. It's just things have worked out that way. And we need, we need your help. And so I would just pray for anyone um, here, anyone listening to this online who's isolated from other believers. Would you show us what to do, and would you open the doors for that to end? We need our brothers and sisters. Our brothers and sisters need us. We have a wonderful Savior who's coming soon. We want to stand for him. So please, would you show us how to do this? Thank you that you love us and you're with us, and you want to help us with this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.